Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. has called for us as his children to not only survive but to thrive and to make an impact for the hope of the gospel knowing the truth for you and I as believers is absolutely necessary for our maturity and for our growth to have a little bit of truth becomes a very dangerous thing because almost every false religion has a little bit of truth. That's the hook that gets people. And that's why you and I need to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John declared that one of his intents in writing his letters was to strengthen believers and encourage them to cling to the whole truth of God. Otherwise, he said, people will try to deceive you. And as Pastor David adds, it's critical to know, trust, and obey all of God's Word so that you can grow in knowledge of God and be strengthened against the attacks of the enemy. Hold tight to God's Word. Be aware of where you may stumble or are vulnerable to attack so that you may stand up against disbelief and heresy. Now here's Pastor David as he continues his message, Intro to the John Epistles. The first century church had so many enemies, so many different attacks. The world around them was against them, and even within the church, these false teachers just abounded. They're literally coming out of the woodwork, and it would seem these guys would rise up wanting to get a crowd around them, and so they would introduce this new teaching, and itching ears would follow after those teachings, and it would draw people away. It would draw them again into error, and that's why John says, I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Guys, how the church ever survived to this point is truly a miracle of God because there was so much that the enemy was throwing at the church continually, continually. But what does the word say? Greater is he that is in me, in us, than he that's in the world. The enemy can do everything he can, and he does. He throws every tool in his box, every weapon that he has against you, against the church, against the validity of the word of God. But one of the things that we've seen, historically, even as the attacks came against the word of God, the word of God has prevailed. Historically, as, again, the attacks came against the church itself, the church has had some dark times. Don't be deceived. The church has had some really dark times. But even through through that, there has always been underneath that the true church that has again prevailed through it all. And in and through that true church, we see again the Spirit of God working and moving in powerful ways. We need to remember it wasn't just the first century church that had all of these issues. Beloved, the 21st century church has the very same 
issues. And it's still only by that miraculous hand of God that we're able to survive and that we're able to thrive and that we're able to make an impact within the communities that we live. Whether that community is, again, just your neighborhood, your family, your workplace, your school, whatever it might be, God has called for us as his children to not only survive, but to thrive and to make an impact for the hope of the gospel. Knowing the truth for you and I as believers is absolutely necessary for our maturity and for our growth. To have a little bit of truth becomes a very dangerous thing because almost every false religion has a little bit of truth. That's the hook that gets people. And that's why you and I need to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to know also the tactics of the enemy. What is it that the enemy is doing that would cause me to stumble? What is it that that I personally am vulnerable to? You don't think the enemy knows your vulnerabilities? You bet he does. If you're leaning more toward a legalistic mindset, you just need in your life more rules and structure, the enemy's going to give you all the rules and all the structure you want, and then some. If you say, oh, no, man, I I want the freedom in Christ. I don't want the the enemy's going to draw you into the freedom that really now you've gotten in trouble. You've gotten too free at that point in time. So again, Paul says in your freedom, man, don't sin and don't cause others to sin. Knowing the truth, absolutely necessary, but knowing the tactics of the enemy in order that we might guard our souls, our spirits against the deceitfulness and against all of his trickery. And John wanted to be certain that the church itself was not deceived. The fourth thing, chapter five, and one of the, I think one of the most powerful things, and I love this verse. Chapter five, verse 13, John says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, one of the things we talked about are these two words that are translated in our English language as to know. One is the Greek word gnosko. Gnosko, again, is a growing knowledge. I'm coming to know you. I'm growing in my knowledge. There's another word, though. It's oida, O-I-D-A. Oida is the idea and the understanding of I know. I'm not growing. No, I already know it. I've already come to the fullness of the knowledge, to have a full and complete knowledge of the fact. And that's the word that John uses here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know without any doubt, without any uncertainty, that you might have a concrete understanding, fully firm under your feet that cannot be knocked, cannot be rocked, cannot be swayed, that you have eternal life and that you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Even today, Some within the Christian community, they they declare, well, you can't really know for certain that you're saved. You can't really find rest in the assurance of eternal life. And yet here, John says that 
one of the very reasons that he writes this letter to the church, again, is in order that we might know for certain our eternal state. But you also need to understand that John assures us that it's not through parroting some special prayer. It's not simply the association with a particular group of people or a denomination or even a particular church. You don't gain eternal life by signing a membership card, gang. That's not how you gain eternal life. Throughout this whole letter, he says that there are particular things that you and I should be looking for in our own personal lives that help to give us that assurance of our eternal status. I remember when I was very young in the Lord, struggling in some areas, struggling then, still struggle today, uh, but in, in my younger life, struggling in some areas, and you know, the doubt or the fear, man, I don't even know if I'm saved or not. The response that a a pastor gave me back then was, well, did you pray to receive Christ? And confess your sins, pray to receive Christ. And I said, yes, I did. Uh, That spring evening in 1970, actually, at Veterans Memorial Coliseum up in Phoenix, after a revival, a crusade there, I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, is God a liar? Well, no, he's not a liar. Then you're saved. That's it. I said, okay. But it was later on, as I began studying the word of God, I realized that isn't really the assurance of my salvation. The assurance of my salvation is the work of the spirit of God within my life. If that spirit of God isn't working in my life, I can't go back and say, hey, I said the prayer after what that guy said. He said, pray this way, and I did that. That's not the assurance of your salvation, church. The assurance of your salvation is the validity of your life, the validity of your faith. Doesn't mean that you don't struggle. We all struggle. We all have battles. We fall. Some fall for a long time, for three, three and a half years. Man, I walked away from the Lord. Wanted nothing to do with this church. Didn't want to have anything to do with anything having to deal with the gospel, with the word of God. But again, God had me. If you would have looked at me then, you'd said, this dude has lost his Hogan's goat, however lost Hogan's goat is. Uh, but <laughs> the fact is, is we can't tell on the external. People can come into a church fellowship. We, we learn Christianese really well, don't we? We can speak the language. And when we're all together or around anybody that might be a believer, we can act the right way. But you know what? That's not the determination of our salvation. The determination of our salvation is what the Spirit of God is working and doing within our hearts. During those three and a half years, I had no assurance of my salvation. What could I go on? That God's not a liar? Yeah, but what if I really didn't mean what I prayed? What if I wasn't really converted? See, there has to be a change of life. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, what did he say? Nicodemus, man, you're a teacher of Israel. He was a guy, he knew the word of God. He was probably a righteous dude. He was one of the Pharisees. He was a good guy. And to probably look on him from the external, he looked probably better than any of us. But Jesus told him, unless you're born again, 
unless there is that conversion experience, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. That had to be an eye-opener for a guy like Nicodemus. You see, I had no assurance of salvation for those three and a half years. But what God was doing in my life was just bringing me back to him. I fell away from him in fellowship. But the relationship was still there. I couldn't state it because of what I saw in my life, and neither could anyone else who knew me. But God drew me back to him. And beloved, that becomes our assurance. Someone comes to me in in counseling, and they're, they're living like the world, and they don't really care, and, oh, you know, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, but I'm saved, right? I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb, right? I'm not gonna give you any assurance. Oh, did you say that prayer five years ago? Oh, you got it, man. No problem. I'm going to say, no, look at your life. What does your life right now tell you? Because I would just soon you have the fear of God in you than to take something that really didn't happen and hold on to that until you stand before God Almighty. And he says, what have you done with Jesus? When he says, who are you? I do not know you. You see, the the importance of eternity, John's not going to whitewash it here, but he wants to make sure that those that do know him, they have that solid assurance. Even the apostle Paul agreed with that when Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. And he's writing to the church, guys. That's how important this is. And then he says, test yourselves. It's not that in the back of my Bible, I have the day and the time and the place where I prayed that prayer on the back. That's not the test. We're going to see the test as we go through John, and it's not an easy test. Oh, and by the way, it's not graded on a curve either. It's a pass-fail. God has given us the ability to have the assurance of salvation. And here as we go through 1 John we're going to find that John is going to give us these tests. They're little pop quizzes. They're little pop quizzes that as we go through, he's going to say, hey, you know, if you're a believer, this ought to be happening in your life. Hey, if you're a believer, this ought to... The first test is doctrinal tests. Doctrinal tests. You know what? Doctrine is not a, a, a four-letter word that you avoid at all costs. No, doctrine is necessary because without the right doctrine, how do you know how to be saved? How do you know even what it means to be saved? How do you know who is responsible for your salvation? And what do I do now that I am saved? Doctrine is what teaches us that. That's what doctrine is. It's the teachings. And we as believers need to grow in strength and understanding of right biblical doctrine. We talk about at times about having a regular worldview, a secular worldview, versus having a biblical worldview. Do you know that there are day and night differences between the two? 180 degrees. A secular worldview is so totally different than what a biblical worldview is that you would probably be shocked. We as a country, beloved, we are nowhere near a biblical worldview. Nowhere near. And we're going further and further away from it.
having the right doctrine is an absolute necessity as an ingredient within your salvation. John gives us some doctrinal tests. Second thing he gives us is uh, what I call social tests. Social tests. It makes a difference, guess what, on how we treat each other. God looks at how we treat each other, and it makes a difference on how we treat each other. If the love of God truly abides within us, we will treat people the way that God treats people. Yeah, but he's one of those. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all unrighteousness. His heart, his love is for all men everywhere, desiring that they would come to repentance and to salvation. What lines does God draw? Uh, he's got too many tats. He, he speaks a broken English. Oh, he's the wrong color. He's the right color. Oh, he's, he doesn't have enough money. He's got too much money. We even, yeah, as the church, we throw these barriers in there. And beloved John says, you better not. Not if you call yourself a believer. Not if you call yourself a child of God. All of that has to be done away with. John speaks greatly about the love for the brethren. But I believe as we look at this, we'll see that this test even goes on to how we treat those that are still in the world, that are outside of faith. You think that that love of God is only within the four walls of the church? No, it reached out of the walls of the church when it reached you. And he's still reaching outside the walls and he wants to touch people's lives. And if we come in with attitudes and prejudices and those preconceived notions, well, that guy with all those tats and all that metal on his face, surely he can't come to Christ. Yeah, he can. And he might be more on fire for Christ than you ever were. It matters how you treat others. John gives us social tests. He also gives us moral tests. John brings out the clear truth that how you and I live our lives in this present world at this time just might be the telling reality of where we're going to spend the next world in. How we live for all eternity. Now, he's not speaking about gaining or even holding on to your salvation through good works. But beloved, you got to understand that John writes here in agreements with James, in agreement with Paul, and even in agreement with Jesus as he confirms the fact that someone who is born again by the Spirit of God does not continue to live a life outside of the will and the plan of God. If we're truly born again, if we're truly his, then there has to be changes within our lives that draw us more toward obedience than continually walking away from it. We're not saved by how we live, but how we live will verify if we are truly saved. That's the moral tests. And remember, whenever you take a test, The test isn't the channel where you gain the knowledge. The test simply is there to determine whether or not you have that knowledge or not. When we look at this, 
Don't say, okay, that's good, man. I, I need to take that. No, I think that when we go through this and we look at this, we suddenly need to realize, well, man, I need to repent. If I, if I call myself a child of God, I need to repent in my life because I'm not living the way that brings honor and glory to God in that area of my life or in this area of my life or in that area. And again, guys, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I am talking about, again, the direction and the purpose, the point, the vision of your life. That's why, again, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If you are running a race, if you keep looking around you and keep looking around you and keep looking behind you, you'll never make it as a winner to the finish line. When you're running the race, keeping your eyes on the finish line is what it's all about. And I believe that's what John, as an older man, as a guy who had the apostolic authority over churches at that time, a guy who had pastored churches, a guy that had been through so much in his life, I believe he's writing these things not from a high tower that says, look, you, got, you people need to do this. I believe that he's down on the ground literally pleading with the church that says, look, if you're part of the body of Christ, this is what ought to be happening within your life. This is what the impact of the Spirit of God ought to have in your life if you truly call yourself saved. John writes to the church, here in 1 John, he wants the church to know, to know that they know that they are truly saved. That you may know, either, that you may know for certain that you have eternal life. Before we get into the verse by verse, I also want to do just a real quick look at John. Because again, looking at the guy who wrote it and the impact of his own Christian life, I think really tells a lot for us. I want to take a few more minutes just to get into this uh, one of at least two sons of Zebedee, the fisherman. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be around in the Gospels for a little bit. Mark 1, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 Mark writes about Jesus calling his first disciples. In Mark 1, 16, Mark writes, And as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, and that's Simon Peter, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a, a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending nets. And immediately he, Jesus, called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. I love this immediately, this immediate response going through Acts, we see people immediately responding, immediately responding, not waiting, not considering, Lord, you're calling me, boom, I want to be there. Open 
Pastor David has been studying three letters from the Apostle John here on The Open Word, aptly named 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Each one reminds you who Jesus is, why you should follow Him, and how that's accomplished. You can learn from these letters and grow in your faith just the same as the first readers did. And if you're new to the Bible and to Jesus, you can learn all about the man who can save you. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to die for your sins. He loves you more than you can comprehend, and He wants you to be free from what's holding you back. If you want to take that next step and begin a relationship with Jesus, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we support you and we're praying for you. If you still have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find and begin regularly attending a church in your area. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. Here's Pastor David with more information. Thanks, Chris. Yes, I'd love to meet you. So please come join us this weekend for a time of worship and Bible study here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can expect to meet some friendly people and learn more about your Savior. Directions and more info can be found at theopenword.com. Just click on the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. I'm excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Make us more.